Hi, I'm Deirdre Veldon and this is Confronting Coronavirus, a daily podcast on the COVID-19 outbreak. Today we're taking a look at how the Trump administration has handled the outbreak. The hardship will end, it will end soon, normal life will return and our economy will rebound very, very strongly. The scale of the crisis facing the US really emerged at the weekend when the confirmed cases recorded reached 30,000. New York has emerged as an international hotspot with the biggest number of cases in the US and data showing that one in 20 people in the world who have the virus live in the state. We talked to our Washington correspondent, Suzanne Lynch. Suzanne, you're in Washington. How are things there at the moment? Look, it's um, very similar to what we hear is happening in Ireland. So there's been a big change here. We went from only 10 days ago, Leo Varadkar was here with Donald Trump in the Oval Office. Reporters were in the Oval Office. There were very little restrictions, you know, very no signs of hand sanitizer, for example, even in the White House. And then overnight, within a few days, things change here in America. To keep new cases from entering our shores, we will be suspending all travel from Europe to the United States for the next 30 days. Uh, Donald Trump announced this travel ban. I think that was the real changing point. Uh, and then he declared a national emergency that was to last 15 days. And since then, uh, the country, in different ways, because I think it's, it's important to emphasize here, you've got a very specific system where you've got the federal government and then you have the individual states, which have a lot of power. So it's varying from state to state. Here in Washington, where I'm speaking to you from, um, it's actually been quite draconian. So quite early in the process, the mayor of D.C. shut all the public schools here. And then within a few days, all the restaurants were told to shut. Uh, Restaurants, cafes, they're only permitted to open for takeout. But pretty much everything is closed here. All the shops, all the cafes and restaurants, very few of them are actually offering that service. I was around yesterday, for example, and all the Starbucks, which had been offering takeout, were effectively closed Uh, But a lot of the restaurants are doing takeout or curbside delivery, as they're saying. So we're all being bombarded with emails from Open Table and everything telling us, you know, that they're maybe closed, but to come along for for delivery. So that's really the picture here at the moment. Just going back to Trump's initial response, he was not at all concerned by the threat of coronavirus initially. Isn't that the case? That that is true. There's absolutely um, no doubt that Donald Trump was someone who played down, minimised the risk of coronavirus from the early stage. So he's on record at various points in this process, back in July, back in February. He at one point said it's a hoax, not that the virus is a hoax in a sense, but he describes what he called it, you know, a democratic effort to politicise this. And that was a hoax. Um, so he very much said we'd be fine, uh, that America is the best country in the world, it'll be able to cope. And then, as I say, in the last week, he has changed. So we have seen a complete flip from Donald Trump. Uh, he has now casting himself as a, as a wartime president, if you like. He was saying during the week here at a press conference, um, you know, every generation of Americans have been called to, to make shared sacrifices for the good of the nation. Um, and this is a complete contrast to his prediction that this virus is going to disappear. Um, also, the very fact that they are now holding daily coronavirus press briefings here is is indicative of how serious now uh, people in the administration are taking this. I mean, one silver lining journalists are saying here that has actually got Donald Trump back in front of the media. Obviously, the, the press briefings of the White House had stopped for more than a year, and now they are now holding them. It's very restricted. Only a certain amount of people are allowed in there. Um, but Donald Trump did feel 
forced, if you like, to start addressing the nation on a daily basis. So that's kind of the rhythm now. He tends to hold a press conference each day on updates. But then, as I say, um, in parallel, we've all different kind of announcements coming from different states which are badly affected. Uh, in saying that, though, though, Deirdre, there's even a sign now in the last 24 hours that he could be prepared to change tack again. America will again and soon be open for business. Uh, very soon. A lot sooner than uh, three or four months that somebody was suggesting. A uh, lot sooner. We cannot let the cure be worse than the problem itself. We're not going to let the cure be worse than the problem. Reporting coming out now that he is very anxious to restart the economy, that maybe when this national emergency expires in 15 days, that's about a week more, nine days more, that he may seek to kind of encourage people to go back to work. We're not clear on that, but there are indications that we're going to have a battle ahead, I think, between the health experts and Donald Trump and Republicans who are very worried about uh, the impact on the economy. Trump has put Mike Pence in charge of the coronavirus task force. How's that been working out so far? I mean, this was seen as a very misguided decision at the beginning of this process. But Mike Pence, I mean, some people are, are saying he's like he's better than Trump when he gets up to brief. He's sticking to the facts a bit more. What is happening, though, is that Mike Pence is leading this coronavirus task force. Every day he gets up at this briefing in the White House and starts invariably by praising Donald Trump and thanking the president for such a good job he's doing. Um, so once you get past that and he starts answering the questions, he seems to be slightly more inclined to stick to the facts, answering questions about the provision of um, you know, medical supplies, et cetera, that kind of thing. But what's invariably happened is that even though he is, he is you know, at the, at the cold face of this, Donald Trump, if you like, has muscled in on a, at the PR of this, has been, uh, un, you know, he, it may not be announced in advance, but invariably Donald Trump arrived every day at this um, White House briefing. So in a way, Mike Pence has been edged out to an extent. Uh, but yeah, Pence, there was uh, that was one of the earliest indications that the White House needed to do something because it has been criticised for its whole attitude to the, the what we would call the civil service here. Obviously, the Trump administration scaled back and stripped back a lot of government agencies. So they had a lack of capacity in that field once this crisis struck. So the establishment of a coronavirus task force and you know putting Mike Pence at the top of that was the kind of first sign that the administration was was trying to get a hold of this. Trump has often used this uh, term Chinese virus or foreign virus uh, instead of coronavirus or, or COVID-19. What effect has that had uh, over there? Yeah, I think that that um, is getting a lot of publicity here. Crucially, a, a few days ago, a photographer took a, a photograph of Donald Trump's prepared notes and he had scratched out the word coronavirus and put Chinese virus handwritten above it. So, look, this is seen as um, provocative um, and as an example of Donald Trump looking for someone to blame, looking for a scapegoat. This is a president who constantly, you know, wants to fight things, never takes responsibility for anything. And he was asked this, do you take responsibility uh, at all for the situation, you know, the delayed response? And he said, no, I don't. So I think this is very much in line with Donald Trump's psychology, his manner of governance. Blame somebody, find a scapegoat and hammer that home. Um, it's, it's interesting, though, geopolitically, because Beijing and Washington, you know, they're the two world, you know, China and the US are the world's biggest economies. Things were already tense between them. Uh, and they've been involved in a trade war, essentially, for the last year or so. So this has happened at a time when trade relations between the two were very fraught anyway. 
Now you've got issues around supply chains. Obviously, China is a huge manufacturer of all kinds of goods, including medical devices. So it was interesting. Um, Trump seemed to walk it back a tiny bit on Friday where he talked about President Xi and his kind of good relationship with the Chinese government. The Chinese are furious about this characterization by Donald Trump. Um, but, you know, we did see some kind of a sense that maybe he felt himself he'd overstepped the mark on that. And also he's been accused by people here. I think Mayor Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York, has accused him of basically stoking bigotry against Asian-Americans uh, in this country. So, yeah, it's it's been a big talking point here. Um, and he's been he's been widely criticised for it. There's a lot of misleading information around Suzanne. Um, Trump, for example, has said that anyone who who needs a test will get a test. But we know that now not to be the case. Um, he's even made claims about a vaccine being developed rapidly. Is is he resiling from that at all? Yeah, that, those two points are exactly right, Deirdre. Um, the big issue in America is the testing capacity. The fact that uh, not many people were being tested and then the lack of capacity, the fact that America did not have its own test um, and has been late trying to develop tests. So that's been number one. Uh, and Donald Trump was specifically asked, some journalists read out a comment by doctors saying, I'm having difficulty getting tested. I'm, you know, I'm finding difficulty sourcing material. And he basically said, oh, I haven't heard that. That's not the case. So, you know, we were getting this kind of um, denial of the facts by Donald Trump on that on that uh, point. And on the vaccine, that that's very interesting because last week in one of these daily briefings, it was well flagged that there was going to be a big announcement. And when Donald Trump took to the podium, he talked about using um, a vaccine that was being used, um, an anti-malaria drug, uh, for example, was would be used for um, to fight coronavirus. Within minutes, the top immunologist here, Anthony Fauci, who's become kind of the face of this crisis for a lot of Americans. Beside Donald Trump got to the podium and said, well, actually, um, it's not going to come on stream anytime soon. It's still being tested, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So he's been undermined as he spoke by these health experts. Um, and then there was the strain on this that Donald Trump has kind of, again, shifted the blame to individual states and said, well, if you guys can get equipment and testing your own way, fire ahead, we'll support you, but go ahead on the state level. So a lot of people obviously are saying, he is not taking up that leadership mantle, that it should be driven by the federal government. And instead, he's saying, if you don't have testing, if you don't have vaccines, that's a problem for your state governors, not for the federal government. While the administration continued to tell the country not to worry, Suzanne, and, and that the outbreak was under control, some Republican senators appeared to be using inside information to their own advantage. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, very interesting story uh, that emerged last week. So, Two Republican senators um, are found to have sold stocks uh, that were connected with healthcare or other maybe hotel industries after they were briefed privately on the coronavirus. Um, that they have, and we're talking millions of dollars worth of stocks. They're both Republicans, um, and they were both on health committees. I suppose one, you know, one issue here, which is why I think the reporting on this has been very cautious, is that it's going to be difficult to, to prove that because these senators came out immediately and said um, they made these decisions on the back of publicly available information. So it's going to be very hard um, for anyone to prove that it was specifically the briefings they got privately in their capacity uh, as members of Congress that prompted their move. So as a result, it's going to be very hard to say to draw that line. Uh, but they have come out under a lot of criticism, including from some Fox News hosts who have really been towing the president's line on this. 
And also an, an interesting uh, aspect of this is that Richard Burr, Burr the, one of the senators involved, uh, has also been accused of downplaying the coronavirus to his own constituents, the health implications and, and you know, the, the threat of the coronavirus on the US economy. So people are now questioning, well, if you if you thought that, why did you go and sell these stocks privately? So it's it's one to watch. But as I say, I think very difficult to prove that at the same part, time. Just on Sunday, Suzanne, the, the Democrats blocked um, an action to, to put through a, a two trillion government rescue package uh, on the basis that it failed to protect workers and and uh, didn't have strict enough restrictions on bailed out businesses. Um, what's the response to that been? Well, this is going to be the focus, I think, here in the next 48 hours. Congress, Democrats and Republicans are tr- trying to negotiate a massive stimulus package. And the numbers here Deirdre, are huge. Back in 2008, during the financial crisis, the bank bailout was about $700 billion. They are now looking at a bailout here in America of about $1.8 trillion. So it's absolutely colossal. So what they're trying to do is um, negotiate the fine print, if you like, of this. So Republicans, uh, Donald Trump's party, have a majority. The Senate, one of the two houses of Congress, is leading this. And Republicans have a majority in the Senate, but they don't have what you call a super majority. You need 60 out of 100. So they do need Democrats to vote with them to pass this. And there have been expectations here over the weekend. All the senators have been meeting in Capitol Hill that this deal would be agreed on Sunday. And it wasn't. This vote, the Democrats on mass, 47 of them voted against. Um, now, Republicans reacted with fury. Mitch McConnell, the top Republican in the Senate, you know, said, where are the adults in the room? This is a time of national crisis. But Democrats are arguing, no, we need to be careful about what this bailout means. You know, are there, as you mentioned there, are there protections for employees? One of the suggestions, for example, was that a company who gets bailout must commit to keeping on 90% of its employees. They're worried very much about the airlines. If they give a package for airlines and an airline package is included in this, um, there should be conditions. Uh, airlines have financially been thriving over the last 10 years. There's been lots of share buybacks, and this has not necessarily passed on to consumers. Democrats want to make sure the consumers are protected. So I do think there will be agreement on this, uh, maybe today on Monday. And it's, it's, it's quite interesting, actually, that this daily coronavirus, coronavirus briefing that's typically held each day is, is being held this evening at 5.30, much later, after markets closed. So I think there's an expectation there could be some kind of a a vote today. It will still take a few more days. Um, but Donald Trump does not seem to be involved. He will have to sign this bill, this package. But the Treasury Secretary, Steve Mnuchin, he's been the person, the point man on this, if you like. And he has been constantly negotiating with the, on the Democratic side as well, with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, the top Democrat. So there is expectation that something, that, that basically they have to, that the US economy now isn't going to be in such dire straits that a stimulus package of this size is needed and that they will agree something uh, in the next day or so. Has Trump's approach overall uh, been greeted with uh, positivity or negativity from from the, the core voters, the core Trump voters? Yeah, I think, dear to like everything in the United States, this country is so polarised and it's continuing to be polarised over coronavirus. So one of the, the tre- trends we saw in the last few weeks was that Fox News um, itself, just as Donald Trump did a U-turn, so did Fox News. So Fox News and most of its presenters were absolutely in lockstep with the president saying, you know, this is a democratic, politicized issue and it's been stoked up by the media and there's nothing to worry about. Um, And I think there's a sense then that they realized, hang on, 
we're losing our own public. The public mood is changing here. And there's now real concern among a lot of our viewers about coronavirus. So they have shifted. In saying that, um, it, it, you know, the, it, it's, it's a simplistic, but I think it's true that the more right wing the politician, um, the more dubious they are about the, the long term threat of this and particularly government intervention of any kind. And they're very pro-business. So we're seeing that trend here. So a lot of Republican commentators in the last few days, again, have been kind of keen to stress that, you know, we need to weigh up the economic challenges with the, the health demands. So um, Donald Trump supporters, I think, are with them on this, uh, like they are on most things. Uh, Donald Trump, has, as I said, come out fighting, saying, I'm handling this. Um, I haven't been late to the party on this. And I mean, I think his supporters are hearing what they want to hear. One point, for example, Donald Trump continuously makes, and he, he is right to an extent, was that he banned flights from China quite early in the process. And he did do that. And um, that is seen as, as, as a positive thing by the American public. So he's hammering that home all the time. His supporters on Fox News are hammering that home all the time. Um, and I think, to be honest, uh, his supporters are going to kind of keep with him on this. Finally, Suzanne, up to now, Trump's twin obsessions have been the performance of the markets and, and the, uh, the election in November, of course. Has he realised that this may permanently impact those things? I mean, I think that is what the, the worry for Trump and Trump supporters is, is the impact. This is happening in an election year. A lot of comparisons have been made with George Bush and Hurricane Katrina and his tardiness in responding to that national crisis. Um, as I said there, you know, there's a sense at the moment the Trump supporters have kind of kept with him. But of course, Donald Trump's main Trump card, pardon the pun, has been the economy. He is again and again touted not just the, the strong American economy, but now, ironically, the strong stock market. And um, the stock market has obviously tanked here in the last few weeks. And again, this is the difference, I think, between the United States and other parts of the world, other parts in Europe. So many Amer ordinary Americans have money in the stock market here. You know, their retirement accounts, um, there's their saving programs called the IRA, uh, retirement get like so many people are invested literally and metaphorically in the stock market here. So if the stock market goes down, that is a problem politically for a president. So I think his focus now is getting that economy back and running. He is um, he's predicting uh, that you know the American economy will bounce back like never before. But the timing of this is very difficult for him. Uh, because he was going into this election year with you know, record-breaking numbers on the stock market. And of course, a lot of analysts were saying that this was not going to last anyway, that this run um, was too good to be true and it was going to hit a bump. Of course, he can blame against scapegoating, saying it's not his fault, it's not to do with the stewardship of the economy, it's to do with um, something beyond everyone's control. But I think that is going to be the issue that defines the Trump re-election campaign, quite frankly, when things get back to normal and people get back on the campaign train, ho hopefully, you know, later in the summer, perhaps. Suzanne, thank you. My thanks to Declan Conlon and Suzanne Brennan who produced today's podcast. And thanks for listening. Stay up to date with the latest developments at irishtimes.com. We'll be back tomorrow.